Welcome to the Digital Marketing Podcast, brought to you by TargetInternet.com. Hello and welcome back to the Digital Marketing Podcast. My name is Kieran Rogers. And I'm Daniel Rolls. And today, Daniel, we are going to be talking about usability. Yes, we are. And it, and specifically usability testing. So yeah. let's start off with a bit of a step back from this. Usability is seen as a bit of a fluffy area. We make things a bit better and everyone comes in and has an opinion on it. And I always say everyone thinks they're an expert in two things. One of them is copywriting, because if you give anyone some copy, they will rewrite it. And everyone thinks they're an expert in web design because you show them a website and they will tell you the button should be in blue and it should be here and so on. So what this is about is trying to remove some of that subjectivity. So I wanted to start with a definition because there is a an ISO, the International Standards Organization, definition of usability. Oh, and it, I love it when you I love it when you talk dirty on the yeah. podcast. <laughs> Exciting stuff, right? Um, and the definition says the extent to which a product, so a product in this case is a web page or a website or an app, can be used by a specified user. So that user is our defined target audience. Uh, we're going to talk about personas in a moment. To achieve specified goals, that is it, what do they want to actually do in a specified context? Where are they doing it? But more importantly, why are they doing it? And then with effectiveness, i.e. can they do it? Efficiency, how quickly can they do it? And finally, satisfaction, did they like doing it? So those stages give us a really clear definition of what we should be doing with usability testing and, and the process we can go through. Oh, those ISO boffins pack it in, don't they? Yeah, it's a good definition, yeah. I think. So let it me just good. let's go through it. Yeah. So we start with our specified user. So very often here, this is when you build your personas. Yeah. And you build your persona out so that you can say, does this work for this person? Yeah. So um, this th- is classic marketing, though, isn't it? Like specified users makes it sound complicated. This is basically who are you trying to reach? Yeah, and, and does it work for them? What do they want? What motivates them, and so on. Yeah, the, yeah, the one yeah. big risk with personas is you build them based on assumptions, and it happens a lot. You go, I think my customer <laughs> is, and this is why they're buying the product, and I'm going to build my entire <laughs> business around that, and then be amazed when it fails because it didn't work. So oh, even better than that, people waste time arguing over what what he or she looks like. Oh no, I don't think they look like that. Or <laughs> right, and, <laughs> it, and it, it has to be based on they, evidence. No, so I think she'd have a cat, not a dog. Yeah, right. it's like no, this isn't this isn't a script that you're writing for your Hollywood blockbuster. And you need on. those insights, tools. You need to interview. Mm-hmm. I mean, you need to speak to your customers or your potential customers. That's the key way of doing this. Good grief. Actually speak to customers. I know, it's a bit of a shocking idea. In digital marketing. Oh, that is, that is revolutionary. That's brilliant. So, yeah, go and do that. Build your personas. Then you've got your specified goals. Now, that's saying, what do they actually want to do? But if you look at any particular web page, it is probably satisfying a number of different goals. There are those people that want to buy something immediately. There are those people that want to find out more about a specific thing. There are those people that want to share the page. There are those people that want to go through and look at other people's opinions of it and so on and so Mm. on. Mm. So if you look at an Amazon page, for example, there's supposed to be at least 40 specified goals in every page. So then we can say... forty Does at least, apparently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You think about it, that works, right? So then we go for and say, okay, does this work for this persona trying to do this thing? But then I need to understand the context. And the context is basically what environment they're in. Is it very bright? Is it very noisy? Is it indoor, outdoor? What, what impact does that stuff have? 
also some of the technical specification what kind of device are they on what's the screen size have they got sound switched on or off but it's more about the context of why they're doing it and whether that's a business or a personal motivation so essentially are they doing this because they need to get it done quickly and it's urgent Uh, under stress is it that they want to make a business decision and they're risk adverse and they're trying to make the most sensible decision are they doing it for pleasure and they're just kind of slacking off and whatever they're doing and relaxing so we need to understand that context because then we can say for this persona when they're trying to do this in this context does this work for them and are they going to like this and so on as well so we've got our specified user and a specified goal in a specified context And then we can go into our usability testing about effectiveness. Can they do it? Efficiency. How quickly can they do it? And then finally, satisfaction. Did they like doing it? So it it, it leads really nicely into that usability testing. But before you get into that, we also need to think about some other factors. There's something you may be familiar with. We've got a, a big blog post about this on the website, so we'll put it into the show notes. But the usability honeycomb model says well usability is great but what about all the other surrounding kind of factors as well so for example you might want to do something but what if you can't find it in the first place so is it findable and is it valuable do you actually want to do this and um, is it credible you might be able to do something but if i don't trust you i'm not going to do it (laughs) so it's just getting thinking about those things is it accessible so if i can't actually access the content that's not going to work So it's just thinking about those surrounding issues that, yes, usability is important, but if you've made it really easy to do something that's useless, there's not an awful lot of point in that. So have a look at that and and think about it. I think what I like about the honeycomb model, we'll we'll put the graphic that that you and I are looking at now in in the show notes, because it is, you know, the thing about honeycomb is its strength comes from all of the component parts. So if if you're missing one of those, the structure weakens. And if you're missing a couple of them, it really, really weakens. I think that's... Yeah, it's just a nice visual way of showing how important these different aspects all are right. to supporting an overall great usability uh, experience. So so let's get into this kind of informal usability testing. Now, what do I mean by informal usability testing? It means you don't need to go to a usability lab with one-way mirrors and observe people through this one-way mirror and so on. <laughs> you can do it in a simpler way. And actually, you'll get a lot from this by just doing it very, very simply. So the idea is you're testing effectiveness, that is goal completion, getting people to do stuff, efficiency, timing them doing things, and then satisfaction, actually saying, did they like doing it? So a very simple way of doing it. For the task completion, you have a series of tasks, you have a series of participants, and you say, go and do this. Go and find the price of this. Go and buy a product through our website. Tell me what the returns policy is. Go and look up a particular piece of information. This can be business to consumer or business to business. And then to see, can they do it in a reasonable period of time? Now, you need to define what a reasonable period of time is. I would suggest for most online tasks, if you can't do it within you know, a minute to find something, or you know, even an e-commerce process shouldn't be more than three to five minutes at the maximum, maximum. So you can go through and work out and, and just look out where people couldn't do things because they didn't understand where to click or they they just got lost in the process and it will flag up for you some issues yeah. so that's our when, when, I, when i've run this in 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 businesses that i've worked with you know you typically you you, you have a you know four or five different things that you want people to kind of complete and we, we always used to aim at around 10 to 15 minutes in total for for all of those things because actually you can't you can't be testing people for too long they, they do tire and start to do quite random things just well realistically as well we don't use websites for 
more than that period no, of time any given time. You know, three minutes is the average visit to a website. Therefore, yeah. you know, yeah. if you've done three or four things, you know, if you get beyond that period of time, it's just not realistic. And I think you're right. You start to skew the results. So we then want to look at time on tasks. So again, I'm going to set a series of tasks and I'm going to time people doing each of those tasks. I work out on average how long is it taking people and look for the tasks that are taking a long time. But also I'm looking for outliers. Was there a particular person that took longer to do this? Why? And just look at if that's a common theme amongst anyone else. And again, it's just flagging up problems for me. And it's amazing when you get other people using your website. It's still amazing this day. I've done this for years. You just go, why don't they get it? What is wrong with this person? Especially if you had a hand in designing it. As oh, well. completely. Like, oh, come on, press the button. Press No, no, it's not pressing the button. And, yeah. and that's it. There's also a thing here about familiarity you need to be careful of. If you're used to something being a certain way, you just get used to that. So it's like when they change anything in Facebook and for two days people lose their minds. But the reality is within a week they've forgotten it used to be the way it was. So you've got to be careful of people not liking things when you change things because it could just be that it's used to it being where it is and therefore that's where they're used to clicking. So you time things, you look for outliers. And then finally you're going to go through and you're going to ask people questions and you're going to see how satisfied were they. So quite often what you do is, okay, I'd say something like the website was easy to use and I'd get them to give me a score out of 10. And then I'd get a bit more specific and I'd drill down. I could find this. I like the design, all, all those more subjective things. Yeah. And what you're really looking for is any scores that are particularly low. And if you see that, then you could drill into that and do some further testing. But, so, so just to just to give everybody a bit of a visual representation with it, you should go back to the to the previous point that you were making, Daniel. What we've what we're actually talking about here would be a just a grid with the, the various tasks that we set our participants, you know, maybe one to six down on the, the left-hand um, side. And then across the columns, you'd have your, you know, your the amount of time each person spent on each of the tasks. And at, and at the final row, you sort of final, at the final column, you've got the average total for each of the tasks. And it, and it is, it's really interesting when you sort of average it up, you can begin to see, gosh, why, you know, why is time task two taking so much longer than, than task five and other issues there? Is there anything we can learn from them? I think it's great. And, you know, similarly with the, with, with your participants, when you're asking them to, or looking to see like task completion, you can do exactly the same, the same grid. So I, again, I think within the show notes, let's put some like examples of this quite a visual thing yeah um, we've got so some nice you, screenshots to use when we're training so we'll drop those in and you yeah. can you can have a look at those and it, it kind of simplifies the whole process now what you then up with is you probably want to create a report off the back of this so you have said let's go through this thing again we know who the person is we're trying to say they're trying to achieve this in this context so when we're doing usability testing we want to simulate that we want as many people that are similar to our persona as, per, as possible set them that particular task and give them a description of why they're trying to do it and then see how they get on with it and what you end up with once you've gone through these tests is, is a, a list of suggested changes uh, we should do something to the website to the web page and then you justify why you want to do that so you explain what it is in the usability testing has said that you should do it and i would then think about severity as well so for example the checkout not working on an e-commerce website it might be pretty simple to fix it but it's pretty severe whereas if there was something deeply buried within the content website that only one in a thousand people is going to want you should change it but at the same time it's not quite as severe so you can then prioritize what comes off the back of this now what i think is is really important is always bear in the mind that while you're testing 
task completion, time on task and people's opinions is because people don't always tell you the truth. So there's a, an example I always use. There's this study, 15 websites, they ask people to find specific information and they could only find it 42% of the time. So, you know, <laughs> roughly speaking, 60% of people couldn't find this thing. Then when they asked them how usable the websites were, they came back and gave them 7.4 out of 10. So basically 74%, that sounds pretty positive, whereas actually 60% of people couldn't even do the thing. So you need to look at this. And people tend to be nice. There are cultural differences, though, as well. So if you are someone in one country, did you like the website? You might be in a very polite country. But yeah, I thought your website was lovely. Whereas other cultures tend to be more direct. So that will have an impact on things. Uh, so, and I'm not going to name any that these are the Let's nice countries and these are the no. direct countries. But basically, you know. in the nice country, that's the country you're listening in right now. That's <laughs> yeah, and it's all the other countries that are horrible. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and we're not you know assuming that. you're listening in any given country, by the way. So, so essentially, you can you know you just need to take into those those cultural skews. So if you've got lots of different people of different cultures and um, backgrounds doing the test, it might skew things a bit as well. Now. What's really important, and there's been a whole load of studies that have proven this over the years, is if you have five or six people doing these usability tests, you will unearth something like 80 to 85% of your usability problems. Now, that sounds bizarre, but all it shows is you don't need to do a lot of this to get to the problems on your site, yet universally no one does this. I mean, I would say of every 10 companies I walk into, maybe one has done some usability testing. Maybe they've done it when they're building the website in the first place but probably not since they've built it. And my suggestion here is this is very much about iteration. It's very much about go off, build something, make it better gradually and keep improving it because it's going to change over time. So I think it's just hugely important. And it's not hard to do. It's one of the easier things in digital marketing, I would suggest. I I agree. It is quite an easy thing to, to do. But I think most of us, having invested all of the time, effort and energy and oh gosh the the egos <laughs> well that's something stakeholder management is an important part of this yeah, as well yeah it, it is right but it, it's it's very hard how, especially if you've redesigned the website recently and spent you know bucket and bucket loads of money on it it's very hard to go yeah but it's flawed <laughs> we need to fix this this and this um, but actually my advice would be get out of the way because you know a, a, t- a small increment on on like, conversion improvement or usability improvement can have massive massive you know business Business impacts in a in a positive positive way. You know, you, you, if you go from like if you if you gain like a, a half percent increase and your average conversion rate is only like half a percent, so you go from half a percent to one percent, you've just doubled your turnover for that year online without any extra costs or input, particularly. Yeah, we're you know, a bit obsessed just, with getting more and more traffic to our websites, but what we're not obsessed with is the usability testing, yeah, the analytics I, analysis, I, and it makes I, a lot of sense. It it does, and I think for, if we ask ourselves why, it's because it's safe. You know, if we, we can we can all show, oh gosh, we're doing a lot of additional stuff to get new traffic to the website. That's safe. You know, I can justify that. Look at how much we spent. So even if it doesn't work, you can, well, you know, we threw a lot of money at it. And, you know, well, it's the agency that sacked the agency and gets someone else's like, well, actually, maybe not. Maybe it's where you're driving them to. I also think we've got a real problem in marketing that we don't teach stakeholder management. And I, I say this when I talk about digital transformation a lot, but it's this whole thing of in comms and PR stakeholder management is one of the core skills Mm. but actually if you think about marketing marketing is a lot of the time about change and it's about changing things and therefore there are egos there's people involved you've got to get buy-in and actually stakeholder mapping and stakeholder management are two of the skills i think uh, really when we've looked at digital transformations Mm. they are the skills that the people that have been successful have had so i just think 
it's something if you're not and it's not complicated i mean if you go off and get a little 101 course on or book on stakeholder mapping and stakeholder management and have a stakeholder communication plan it makes a world of difference and it's just a nice structured way of dealing with people now some people just do it naturally and they tend to be fairly successful because of it yeah yeah you but you don't even need to do that because daniel gave us all a masterclass in stakeholder management not that long ago so i'll link to the stakeholder management masterclass we did on a podcast and like definitely start start there because you're right it's not something that that's taught and actually being a part of that recording i can share with you i was like wow this is brilliant you're really good at teaching this i learned like i learned so much just from being part of that. So listen in because it's good daniel's Thank you very much. Good kind. You're a pretty good teacher it's as if you should as do as this that's for a living. For living. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Although, to be honest, since since I am paying your salary, any compliments have to be taken with a pinch of salt. <laughs> we should say that clearly here. Trust me, I would tell you. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Actually, you would. That's very true. So let's let's bring all this together with a bit of a process. Where you start with this is with insights, tools, and interview. Get some facts. Understand who your personas are. What does the journey look like? What do they think? What do they care about? Then what you're able to do is build some personas. Once you've built those personas, you can map them uh, against a, a user journey. Now, I think it's probably worth us doing a whole episode on user journey mapping because it basically gives you your digital strategy. I need this content in these channels. I need to approach my audience in this way. So you map out user journeys and then you apply some best practice. You don't need to wait until you've done some usability testing. There are some key things that make sense. So you can apply some of those usability best practice tips in terms of you know how you lay your content out and how people scan content and so on mm. but then iterate start doing some usability testing and the idea is you do the usability testing you change something and then you do the same tests again and you just see if more people can complete the task more people can do it more quickly and actually they like doing it more because then it worked if it didn't then it hasn't worked but then you also need to look at your analytics and your analytics are going to give you a load of uh, data that you could do analysis on. But we've said this before. The analytics tells you the what. It doesn't tell you the why where, you know, I can see that people aren't doing the thing I wanted them to do. I don't really know why, though, whereas usability testing massively brings out that that why. So I, I think it's really important to do this and I, I love it. And you always get really great results from it. So go off and test it. We'll put a load of links into the show notes to help you with resources to do this. And just grab five people and test some stuff on your website. Just start by testing one part of your website. It doesn't need to be the whole thing because that will give you some pretty good results. Definitely. Definitely. Oh, well, it's, it's, uh, it's the road to exciting journeys in marketing, in, in my experience. Yeah, yeah that's it. And it, does, it just starts you off along a pathway that's going to really help improve things. So thank you ever so much for listening as normal. We'd love to get your feedback. Send us in your questions. And we'll speak to you again on the Digital Marketing Podcast. Thanks very much for listening to the Digital Marketing Podcast. If you want to continue your learning in digital marketing, get over to targetinternet.com and sign up for the free trial of our digital marketing e-learning platform. There's over 140 bite-sized courses for you to try and lots of other learning resources as well. So get on there and sign up for the free trial.